Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Wednesday edition of Pro Football Talk Live, presented by Google Pixel. Learn more at googlestore.com. Good morning to our audience out there. We're four days away from Christmas. Not feeling very festive this morning. Confirmed reports. And look, I've been there and done that 15 years ago when there were unconfirmed reports out of Shreveport, Louisiana, that Terry Bradshaw had died when he hadn't. But both ABC and CBS affiliates, WTAE and KDKA, respectively, in Pittsburgh, reporting that Steelers legend Franco Harris has died just days short of the 50th anniversary of the Immaculate Reception, the play that made him a household name during his rookie season with the Steelers. He was iconic, is iconic, always will be iconic. And I, I just, it just, I got the text from Michael David Smith about 15 minutes ago, and I about fell down. Yeah. Uh, no indication of any illness right no rumors anything out there yeah see him every year flying home from the super bowl we're always on the same plane flying home from the super bowl extremely nice humble down-to-earth guy very you know when you're a kid and and i've explained this before for me the moment that the hook was set as far as pro football was concerned was the immaculate reception play because we had a house full of people watching it we were the only folks in the neighborhood who had that game the grown-ups lost their minds and that kind of got my attention you know i'm screwing around with hot wheels and all these people are jumping up and down and hugging each other they're acting in ways i don't see grown-ups act well this is why this play this moment and you know it just it 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 transformed the team transformed the city it laid the foundation for the super bowl championship two years later who's the mvp of that game against the minnesota vikings which was a very difficult experience for me personally if you know my own preferences for whatever reason i didn't lock on to the local team like a dumbass like i should have Seriously. like everybody else in town Seriously. 60 miles away from pittsburgh but i love franco harris so uh i'm just i'm just stunned chris and yeah. uh, and again it's re- it's confirmed with his family by both wtae tv and kdk in pittsburgh i i wanted to get confirmation directly from the steelers but i think i think unfortunately because I wish it wasn't true, we're safe to trust the two uh, affiliates who have confirmed it with his family in Pittsburgh. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's shocking, like you said. I mean, just when I was walking in here in the office to, to see that text from you, you know, and just have those thoughts. Uh, I mean, yeah, usually there's a little warning. 72 just seems too young this day and age in 2022. So I don't think any of us were thinking, you know, I didn't, yeah, like you said, I didn't hear any rumors that there was, oh, he hadn't been feeling well. The last week he's been very relevant because of the, you know, immaculate reception anniversary. So he's been on a lot of NFL football highlight shows and there's been a lot of talk of that. 
And he's just the legend of legends. Forget about the state of Pennsylvania where he was what at Penn State, a legend, goes to Pittsburgh Steelers, legend there. He's, you know, for a kid like me, 1980, you know, when I started to learn about football, 1984, 85, 86, and then, you know, dig into the history, I mean, 32, 12, 75, 88 on the Steelers, black and yellow. I mean, those are the, the first guys I learned about in the history of football. So, like, my early football recollections, one of my greatest, my dad's greatest stories he ever tells in, for playing in a preseason game was against the Steelers in 1979 and how he was crapping his pants against that team. I mean, he's, he's not only a, uh, an individual icon, but he was part of something that was bigger than that. And he's really an NFL icon as far as individually, but then that team and how special they were and the first dynasty in the Super Bowl era. So... Uh, yeah, it's a shame to see. And he is such a nice human being. Been around Franco Harris a few times in my life. And he just was always the calm, you know, wise, older man figure who was soft-spoken and just so easy to talk to. So uh, that's a heartbreaker. It really is. And um, especially with the Jersey retirement thing on the horizon on Saturday, I think that just adds like a an extra dagger into your soul here, the fact that he didn't get to enjoy that one last moment. And, and this is a team that, that rarely does that. retires jerseys. Right. And it was long overdue for 32 to be set aside forever. I, and I just, you know, this is hard, this is hard for me. I, I, you know, we're professionals and we try to hold it together. This is taking every ounce of whatever limited skill I may have to hold it together because I got a lot of memories rushing back. I know you do, man. Uh, you it's know, all right. Uh, Don't worry. It's uh, all good. I, it's your. I mean, my early recollection remembers this guy. I can't imagine you. I know it's bringing uh, a lot of emotion to you because you 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 grew up watching this happen. He was in certainly like a when you little Mike Florio pain in the butt, uh, pain in a garbage can. Yeah, Franco Harris was the man. He was the man, and you know, then your parents were around then at that time, so it all comes together. I get it, Mike. I get it. It's that's a okay, tough one. Thank you. Thank you're not making it any well, better. Well, hey, I'm trying <laughs> to give the audience a little like cush so, so to explain to you. I, I I understand. It's it's emotional for me with a with a legend like this. And and, and you know what was so cool? He, he was a child of World War II. Right. His dad was stationed in Italy. His mother is Italian. Yep. So the big thing when he was a rookie, and this kind of popped up out of nowhere, Franco's Italian Army. Yeah. Which was so freaking cool. Right. You know? Yeah, I know. I know. That was, uh, it was, it's, again, another thing that I learned early on. Franco's Italian Army and me, you know, a guy from North Jersey, he was loved in that area because of that. And then, of course, you add on, you know, uh, yeah, being at Penn State and Pittsburgh and a part of that football team, and then just embodying everything you want, you know, as a a man and as a football player. I think that's the other thing that's like, just like adds to the lure of that Pittsburgh Steelers football team. You know, yeah, they had a little personality with Terry Bradshaw, but for the most part, like they seemed like hardworking. You know, we're just going to come to work and beat your butt and not talk a whole lot about it, and we'll see you on the football field. And then when it's all said and done, we'll be holding the Lombardi Trophy. And for football there for eight or ten years, I mean, those guys were front and center. And that's, uh, that's where it, it's shocking because this is, uh, yeah, this is, this is a true legend, Hall of Famer, icon. You know, 32 and, and black and yellow is, is kind of says it all. You don't. You need. You never needed to know like what that meant, and um, it's it's a sad day to see see him go. And not just a guy who was responsible for one play, but he had the full career, nine-time yeah. Pro Bowler, the Super Bowl MVP, part of the four teams that won Super Bowls in Pittsburgh, and really did. I can't even say resurrect a franchise that had been down on its luck. It had never been good. The Steelers had never been anything. They had been around for four decades, and they had been just at the bottom of a league that didn't have a whole lot of teams in it. They were just perpetually not good, and he was a big part of this this ascendance of the Steelers into becoming a national team, a team that contends far more often than not, 
a team that just just shows up and wins. And they had a long dry spell between number four and number five, but they still were good far more often than not. And and he was part of what what made the Steelers who they currently are. Average five point six yards per carry as a yeah. rookie. That's amazing. Amazing. Back in the days when there wasn't a whole lot of passing, so they know you're going to run the ball, and you're still averaging 5.6 yards per carry in that era, pre-rule changes, pre-opening up the offense. So you, you probably had eight, you probably had nine men in the box back in the early 70s, right. trying to stop the running backs because that's what they were going to do time and time and time again. And I mean, he yeah. played football at a time when it was so much more brutal, brutal right. and physical and they're playing on that green cement at three rivers stadium and so many other stadiums had that green cement the stuff that your dad had to deal with and i've marveled so many times in the past at how he's even able to walk after getting slammed into that concrete covered by you know a half inch of of green padded carpet Uh, unbelievable what those guys went through in the 70s and he was one of the best of the decade and it just really is stunning it's gonna be one of those moments i'll never forget picking up my phone where i was when i saw the text message because i I didn't believe it i just i didn't i didn't believe it and i don't want to i still don't want to believe it i want it to be wrong i want it to be a mistake uh but but again more and more reports coming in that it is indeed true so uh I don't know what else to say. Yeah, I mean, well, I, it's, it's, it's just like hard. it's going to be hard for the next hour and forty five minutes. It kicks but your butt. We'll it kicks going. your butt. It's 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 like we said. He's part of you know. Not only is he just such a huge entity itself, he's just he's a part of something that's you know so much bigger too. And he was such a big part of that. I think that's where it gets you too. You just start to wait. These are these are the invincible macho men. 70 Steelers what they they don't die like uh, that I mean that's kind of they're like gods that's where it's shocking and I just I I don't I never put myself in the thought process of oh gosh some of those guys aren't going to be here one day just because they're I still when I think about them I still think about them in Super Bowl you know 14 running up the middle trying to find a hole so I, I never sometimes think of those guys as even old at, at, at times in my life even though I know that's the reality but like what a legend and then like could have played at any era Mike I think that's the other thing that you know you were kind of articulating there doesn't matter he could have he could have been a pass receiving, you know, double du- dual threat running back. He was very natural in the pass game. I mean, then could run for power, had enough speed to break out in the open. I mean, for a running back too, Mike, to just the, the the play in that era as brutal as it was, like you talked about, and then for him to play as long as he did, that's the other thing that's kind of shocking too. When you pull up the stats and you start to like dive into it a little bit. The guy in 1983 in year 12, right, ran for a thousand yards. Like that, that's impressive. I mean, that's pretty unbelievable. That speaks to the professional, how he kept himself in shape, and and the specimen he was as a person. Uh, so that, that that there's there's a lot to talk about with Franco Harris, the person, the player, uh, are are special, and uh, that's where it's it's really a. You know, it's a day that hurts, there's no doubt. And the whole NFL community will be mourning after this one. One of the things Tony Dungy always said about Franco Harris, and it goes back to the immaculate reception, that once he – because Tony Dungy didn't show up in Pittsburgh until the late 70s. He right. was in college at the University of Minnesota when the immaculate reception happened, or he, he may have still been in high school. I mean, it was in that, that window where he was not yet in the NFL. But when he got to Pittsburgh, he – quickly understood why and how Franco made that play because that's how he practiced. He was always hustling, always going toward the ball wherever the ball may be. That's just who he was, and that's how he was in position to make this play. He's going toward the ball. Maybe the ball's not going to come my way, but I'm going to keep moving in the direction of the football, and it popped into his hands, and there he went. And there's the iconic statue of him. I just saw it two days ago at the Pittsburgh airport. Always smile when I see it. And uh, it's, it's amazing um, yeah. how that, that moment, that moment, you know, just and, – and put I think Pittsburgh on the map. His personality, yeah. who he became, what that play means to football, what that play means to the Steelers, and how he's always going to be connected to it. 
And, uh, you know, it happened at a time, again, for me, where the NFL was new and fresh and he becomes this larger-than-life figure. You know, your superheroes don't die. I mean, that, yeah, that's, that's, what I that's what's to say. so hard right, for right. me to process. Yep. And, you know, kids today who follow the NFL, you know, if you're a fan of Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes, I mean, you know, 50 years from now, or hopefully longer than that, you know, you're, you're going to have to deal with the same thing. And it's not easy to, to get your brain around the idea that these athletes that you view as superheroes for what they can do on a football field are mortal. I, I think that's really yeah, that's where it that's hits. That's really why I've, I'm right, so right. rattled and discombobulated by the news because it's even though I'm a grown ass man and know full well how the circle of life works, sometimes you don't want to accept that it does. No, sometimes I, no. you 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 can't you can't process that there there isn't an exception for someone like Franco Harris yeah I know that that's where it is shocking because he just you got that image and just the toughness and the specimen of a man and he just embodies so much that you know men in America shoot for as they grow up but to be a a legend in football and be a Franco Harris and yeah it's just we don't him Mean Joe Green. I mean, there seems immortal. That's why. That's why it's shocking. And and you know the reality of it is like you said to start the show. It just it's seventy two years old. It just doesn't seem that old this day and age. That's where it's shocking too. And usually you get a little bit of a warning to kind of get your body and soul prepared for these type of things. And we didn't get that. Um, so yeah, nothing, nothing, nothing. That's where no, it's shocking. I, I had no idea. Right. I, even if there, I don't know that there was an illness. There was never any talk. I don't. And, yeah. and you know what? If if he had been sick, Chris, it he wouldn't tell anybody. Right. That right. he chose to keep it to himself, to keep it private, to not be the center of attention, to not to not be a big deal, to not make it about himself. Uh, it doesn't surprise me at all. And you know the other reason, as I'm sitting here processing it and thinking about it. Because he wasn't in the public eye after his football career ended, you don't think of him as anything but Franco Harris, the football player. Yeah. Franco Harris, Superman without a cape, right? Franco Harris, the guy who pulled off the immaculate reception and was the nine-time Pro Bowler and the Super Bowl MVP and the Hall of Famer. Like Terry Bradshaw, we've seen him for decades yeah. since he stopped playing every Sunday. Lynn Swan was in other things on TV, involved at USC as the athletic director. I mean, around as part of the sport for Franco Harris, that book closed. And, and that makes it, if that makes any sense at all, no, it, it just does. makes it even harder. You're right. You're right. Because, because you, you just, when you see him, it's, and, and you, the other thing too, he it didn't look old. His, his beard looked great. Like, I mean, everything like, like <laughs> both he and Tony Dorsett had that thing in common where for a very long time, they looked like they could suit up and still play. Right. Right. Like he, years and years and years after they stopped playing, they looked like they could suit up and still play. And he still had that that look to him. For the guy who went through that incredibly brutal and physical era of football, he looked like he could still play. Yeah, no, I I think uh, you know you you hit on a lot of things there. He, it was a specimen. You you could see when I would see him at Super Bowls. I mean, you you understood why he was one of the best running backs in the history of football. His big man, square shoulders, long arms, big hands. I mean, he just was, you know, you, you, you could understand, oh, that, that's how he could take the pounding of the 70s and the Cowboys and Randy White and Jim Jeffcoat and Ed Tuttle Jones. No wonder. That, the, I mean, because, yes, he was. He was one of those guys that just came out of the womb ready to play football. And, and to your point, Mike, you're right. I mean, he just, he, he still looks so good. You know, even as an older man, the beard was perfect, everything there to where that's where I think it just adds to the shock. And then uh, it just is, it, it sucks. It really does. Franco Harris, legend. Steelers, I mean, legendary franchise. You just never, never like to see this as a football fan, but as a human, he just, he's one of those humans that was very easy to root for and, and uh, kind of lit up a room when he was in there. After the Super Bowl in Minneapolis, my brother-in-law was with us, his son, my son was there. We're getting ready to fly back, and Franco's in the area of the, the gate. And 
you know, my, my wife's like, go talk to him, go talk to him, go talk to him. He's like, I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to bother him. Like, I'm always very big on not bothering people. Yeah. And I don't mind if, if people come talk to me because, like, oh, hey, if you want, if you want to, if you want to talk to me, that's on you. If you want to waste your life talking to me, that's on you. But I don't want to bother. You know, it's like I, I don't want to bother him, and I don't want to say to him. Probably piss my pants. I mean, because I, I'm that little kid. It's like it's Franco, right? Like it's like the Joe Green commercial. Like I don't know what to say to him. I know I'm grown, but it's Franco for crying out loud. So my brother-in-law, who'll talk to anybody under any set of circumstances, went and talked to him, and he's talked to him for like a long time. And he finally comes back. He's I couldn't get away from him. Like <laughs> like it it wasn't just it wasn't perfunctory. Some guy comes up to me and wants to talk to me because I'm Frank O'Harris. He right. engaged him in a real conversation. Yeah. And, and, and I was, I, I'm even more pissed at myself now that I didn't take advantage of the opportunity. Seriously. Like, I don't want to bother Franco. What I don't want to bother Franco. Yeah. But he was always very nice. I mean, I'd speak to him and he'd yeah, speak, and, right. you know, but he was, he was always very nice. There were multiple times we flew back on the same plane from uh, the Super Bowl. And uh, I just, I am numb. And uh, it's good. It's good to have a, a friend to talk to and talk through this. Because man, I, I really had for about sixty to seventy-five seconds in the final ten-minute countdown before the show started. I really thought I'm not going to be able to do this. Mm-hmm. I, I thought we just go. I, I, and it's, it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, you're supposed to pretend to be a professional. You can get through this. So thank you, Chris, for helping me through it. Uh, you're the man, We're going to take a break. And when, when we return, we're going to press the reset button and focus on things happening currently in the NFL. But uh, Franco Harris, his family, his friends, his teammates, his colleagues, his fans, they'll be in our thoughts uh, forever. We'll be right back. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Okay, so uh, we, we pivot to discussion about the looming holiday season. And one of the great traditions that my son and I have is we watch Bad Santa down in the barn every year. And last night was annual Bad Santa night. And I think we're going to watch it again. That is a movie that I probably could watch every day of the year. Bernie Mac, the late Bernie Mac, is awesome in that he is. the kid that plays Thurman Merman, I should know his name. He should have won the Oscar, and I'm not just being sarcastic. That kid is brilliant in Bad Santa. Brilliant. I just, just brilliant. Laugh out loud moment every time he's on the screen, Chris. I it, it is a great it is a great one. It's it's under the radar great. I, I feel like not like everybody knows how good ba- bad Santa is. My father was the first one that kind of pointed it out to me. 
And, you know, I know it was, of course, I was a grown up when it came out, but I remember, like, being home. Like, the, that would have stopped it. Well, I know. Like it wouldn't have stopped, stopped it. it. But if you were five, he would have pointed it <laughs> out to you. He probably would have. But I, I just remember being like, what's dad in the other room, like, giggling about? And then, you know, went in there, and mom was like, oh, he loves this bad Santa. He, you know, he thinks Billy Bob Thornton's so funny. I went in there, and yeah, how could it not make you chuckle? And to the point where I'm sitting here going, you know what? My kids are 12 and 16. I think they need to see that movie. It might be dying. It might be Bad Santa tonight. Bad Santa night at the uh, Sims household tonight. Teach them a few things. I think there's even a few things in that movie that my kids don't even know about. <laughs> oh, oh, uh, having seen it last night, I don't know your kids, but I have a good feeling there's yeah. some stuff in there that yeah. the kids there's don't stuff know in yet, there that, that maybe, I think 30 year olds are like, what? <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe you should wait. I don't want to tell you how to parent your kids, yeah. but maybe you should wait, or at least, at least make sure Danielle has pre screened it okay. for you. All right. You watch Bad Santa with the kids. Um, it's really, I mean, it's not, it's not over the top, but it's pretty close at times. Yes. Uh, and, right. and John Ritter, the late John Ritter, Gosh, I is forgot. It, he's great in yep. it. Um, of course, Leachman is, is awesome as the spry granny who's always ready to make sandwiches. And it just, if you've never seen it. You don't know what you're missing, and if you have seen it, you know exactly what we're talking about, and you probably want to stop watching us and go watch it right now. All right, uh, if you do continue to choose to watch us instead of watch Bad Santa right now, here is what transpired yesterday when both Jalen Hurts and Nick Sirianni, quarterback and coach, respectively, of the Eagles were made available to the media to talk about the injury that Jalen Hurts suffered against the Bears on Sunday and his chances of actually playing on Saturday against the Cowboys. Here they are. Definitely a chance. Um, taking it day by day, though. You know, I, everybody knows that I'm dealing with something. I think that's pretty public. Is out there. Um, I'm not one to really talk about myself. You know, obviously being the quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles, you you can't run from that. You know, but um, I'm taking everything one day at a time with it and um, preparing versus a really good defense. We're going we're gonna to talk about that defense today. Make sure we don't miss that. Um, he's at a sprained shoulder. And I do not put it past Jalen Hurts. I don't put anything past Jalen Hurts um, as far as his mental and physical toughness. So there's a chance he could play this week. And so um, he is one of the toughest guys I know. Um, and he heals fast. He's a freak. His body is not like part of me, yours or mine, right? And so I'm, I'm shaming myself there a little bit too. His body's not like ours. Um, he heals fast. I didn't... He came back fast from his injury last year, um, and you know I don't, I don't, I will not rule him out. I will not put a timetable on him, um, and we'll see. We see it all the time with elite professional athletes. They are built differently than the average human. They do heal more quickly, and one of the reasons is they are in great, great shape, and they are built different. It's one of the reasons why they can perform at the highest levels that they do, that they can take the pounding and not get injured every single time someone tackles them. So I have no reason to dispute what Nick Sirianni is saying. Yeah, Maybe right. we will see Jalen Hurts on Saturday. But, Chris, at a certain point, you have to you have to be smart. Yeah, that's you got to protect the guy against that desire to go out there and keep playing, to not ever let his teammates down. All they need to do right. is win one of the final three games. Right. Yeah. And I, I, yeah. I know they've been – I know they've penciled this one – in for a long time, circled it on the calendar, whatever cliche I want to mangle right. here with the Cowboys uh, rematch coming and the Cowboys have Dak Prescott this time, but you got to be smart. You don't, you don't want to have an injury that's going to knock him out for the postseason. That's yeah. the balance they need right. to try to strike. That, that's right. I mean, and you don't want the emotions of the Cowboy game to make the decision for you. And to lose sight of the bigger picture, I think that's that's the big thing. And and like I don't, I mean Jalen Hurts, uh, I know. I mean that's why he's he's easy to root for because of the he just he's stubborn. He's gonna work. I know he's gonna heal. He's gonna do all the little things, you know, to make himself available to his team on Saturday. But he is like one of those guys, Mike, because we know how driven and focused he is. That yeah, to like to your point, you've said this many times. He's, he's gotta they gotta have somebody save you know, him from himself, just in case, too. So you hope that Nick Sirianni and the rest of the organization can kind of evaluate it for what it is. 
Uh, but I would think with the competitor he is, the magnitude of this football game, of course he wants to be out there. And then a special little added you know, icing on top of the cake with what Micah Parsons said last week and that becoming a story. So he wants to give it to the Cowboys and show them you know, or shut them up a little bit. There's a lot of things that play into this, but the number one point is the point you made. Don't let all that affect the fact that you are a great team. You right now are clearly are on the inside track to win the Super Bowl. There's no team that's been as consistently good as you, Philadelphia Eagles. So don't let all those other factors and pride and puffing out your chest and proving Micah Parsons wrong and the Cowboy rivalry affect your decision uh, as far as the big picture and the Super Bowl being at the forefront of your brain there and not let this weekend's emotions you know, affect that. You know, this is part of the analysis as well. We saw this a few years ago happen to the Baltimore Ravens. You're not undefeated, so the temptation... That's right, too. You're right. ...playing is gone. So what what do you do? I remember going into the last week of 2019, John Harbaugh considered maybe resting his guys, and he chose to do it. Remember, yeah. Mark Ingram injured a calf yeah, in the last right. game before... Week seventeen, the what? Yeah, week seventeen. Yeah, I got you. No, but you're yeah. right. Yeah, but so that made him panic a little bit. As they went bit. into the final week, right, right? So he reeled it in. Right. So you put that week off on top of the bye, and you got three weeks between meaningful games. So what happens? A team that you play in the wild and the divisional round that just won in the wild card round comes in loose. Lather it up right. and ready to go. Knows what playoff football is all about. They've already they just been... won a game. Right, right. Right. Nobody expects them to do anything. And what happens? Uppercut on the button, down you go, and it's over. And we've seen it happen. It used to happen more often than it does now. But we've seen it happen. We saw it happen at the Cowboys. Remember the, the whole Mexico trip? That was 2007. That helped open the door for the Giants. Right. To uh to get to the super or to get to the Super Bowl and then we saw the last year, year the Eagles the Eagles knocked off the Giants the year the Cardinals went to the Super Bowl right right, we saw right. It, yeah we saw it last year with the Packers right and the 49ers. that's right so that so so how long do you keep your foot on the gas knowing that you're putting guys at risk but there's a danger in taking your foot off the gas when you're already going to have that week off anyway you yes, don't want to make right. it. Three weeks between games, four weeks between games. You don't want to do that. You don't want to shut it down. You got to keep going. It's it's one of the problems, and they could say it's a good problem to have, but it's still a problem of having such a great season. As you get to the end, you're not really playing for anything, but you need to keep playing so you're ready to play in the playoffs. That that that's the that's the truth. You're right. I mean, it's it's you know that that week off can can be a real issue. You explained it just right. You know, one team knows what playoff football is all about. They know what the intensity, the intensity goes to another level in the playoffs. I know people go, man, football is so intense. How can that be? It, it does. It's, it's a winner go home atmosphere. There's a lot of money on the line. There's legacies on the line. You don't know how many chances you get in the playoffs. Like it's as intense. You can feel it. You know, you can cut it through with a knife when you walk into the stadium on those type of days. And I didn't get to experience it a lot. But, you know, I experienced it once and could really feel it as a starting quarterback uh, against the Washington, you know, Redskins at the time. And, uh, yeah, and, of course, could feel it with my dad growing up. There's a, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a different game in the playoffs. And we saw the Tennessee Titans fall that way last year. I think one of the things that's, like, a little bit unspoken about the dynasty of the New England Patriots is, man, Mike, how many times were they the one or the two seed knew they had that locked up, right, and still played week 16 or week 17, whatever one was the last week of the year, you know, during that dynasty, where they, they played the last game of the year, for real. I mean, Brady was out there. Everybody was out there. And I think that was the reason, Mike, you're explaining. I think Belichick knew, wait, we're going to have a week off here. My, my, I got to have my team ready for four quarters of football. I don't want us to go, you know, two, three weeks off or two or three weeks without intense, you know, practice and getting on the field and being physical and feeling the speed and the emotions of the game. And 
Uh, that's where you do have to balance it. I think in the perfect world, if he's not right this week, okay, you keep him off the field. Then next week, okay, oh, yeah, you're 95 98%. All right, let's play you. We got to play as a football team. And they got to make sure they stay in shape for four quarters of football, too, and keep themselves in football shape here down the stretch. That's one of the things that Nick Sirianni will have to keep in his mind. So hopefully they don't take their foot off the gas too much here. They finished the season with two home games, Saints Week 17, Giants Week 18. And that Week 18 game could be significant to the Eagles because I'm always a proponent. If you can knock a division rival out of the playoff field, do it. You don't want a team from your division coming into your stadium in the postseason because they know you. They're not intimidated by you. In many respects, they've been constructed to compete with you. I'd rather play one of the other teams than play a team from my division. So if they could put a dagger in the Giants week 18, and who knows how it'll go by then. I know. The Giants are in right. position right, right now. They're in the sixth spot. But that's a factor as well. But first and foremost, you don't want to go into hibernation in late December, early January, and then have to knock off the rust against a team that is feeling pretty good about itself and has nothing to lose. By the way, the Eagles activated tight end Dallas Goddard off of injured reserve. He had a shoulder injury he suffered earlier this year. That'll he be big. play against the Cowboys. It was November 16 that he landed on IR, Chris. So that's a big plus. And somebody pointed out yesterday that uh, Goddard had a big game when Gardner Minshew played last year. Right. He had a big game. So if Minshew plays, Goddard's got to keep an eye on. Yeah. I, got, I mean, Goddard is – he's a phenomenal football player. He's He kind of, you know, flies under the radar on, radar on that football team because they got so many big players and stars. And then he doesn't get quite the attention, you know, some of the top tight ends in football, you know, as far as Kelsey, Kittle, Mark Andrews, uh, Darren Waller, that group of guys, but man, he's not far off from those guys. When it, especially when it comes to the pass game and receiving there, and that's where you know they get scary good because that's where when you you hear all the analysts and us talking and Coach Dungy and Coach Garrett, right? When we've done Eagles games or broken them down on a Sunday, it's just they have an answer for everything. So, oh, wait, they're stopping the run. Oh, wait, they're start, stopping the RPO, and they've done that. Oh, wait, they're putting the safeties on top of the receivers. Oh, well, that means Goddard's wide open over the middle. He's, he's man-to-man on a linebacker. That's a mismatch. Uh, so he's a part of their formula to where uh, you can't really be right when you play the Philadelphia Eagles, and that's what's special about them when they're at 100%. There's just nothing you can do uh, to, to stop their attack. They're really great in every area, and therefore you put you know too many eggs in one basket to stop one part of the game, and they tear you up with another part. And Goddard's a part of that, so that's that's good for them that he's back healthy and ready to go. And it, you know, if Gardner Minshew is playing, tight end's always a nice, comforting target for a quarterback that hasn't been out there. He's big. He's working the middle of the field a lot of the times. The size, you feel good about, oh, I could throw it up high in a safe spot. That's where a tight end for Goddard could help a guy like Gardner Minshew out of, you know, if he plays his first time this, this season. The New York Giants head to Minnesota on Saturday. They're having a whiteout at the U.S. Bank Stadium. Okay, Vikings. White uniforms, white end zones. I don't... I saw video of Victor the Viking painting the end zone white in Minnesota, but you need to be able to see the line. So I, I assume there's going to be a gap between the white end zone and the white line. So, you know, we know if a guy's inbounds or out of bounds, although it may not matter if you're Raiders Patriots, but um, I digress. Here's Daniel Jones, the Giants quarterback on whether he has a better idea of how to be successful in the NFL now that he is closing in on the end of his fourth season. Yeah, I mean, I think each each game's different, um, but uh, I think I've gotten a better idea of what of what does win, you know, in the NFL. A lot of times, it's not, um, you know, what you would think. I mean, I think it has a lot to do with taking care of the ball and uh, staying in good situations for the offense, executing on critical downs and, and scoring in the red zone. But um, yeah, I mean, I think I've I've improved a lot since since my rookie year. Hey, and you know, this this just gets back to the whole thing about whether or not the Giants will keep him. Did they do the right thing not picking up the fifth-year option? Will they have to use a franchise tag? They get to the playoffs. That that boosts the overall reputation sure. of 
Daniel Jones, and they're going to want to keep it together. It's it's like the Kirk Cousins thing. All the Vikings fans that want to get rid of Kirk Cousins. That was the narrative early in the offseason. It's like, that's fine, but who's your quarterback going to be? Yeah, exactly. So if Daniel Jones isn't your quarterback, New York Giants fans, who's it going to be? Yeah. Who's it going to be? That's Zach right. Wilson? You could trade for Zach Wilson, I guess. Wouldn't that be something? <laughs> but but uh, th- that so that's the issue. And he's taking you to the playoffs. Yeah. I am one of postseason games since Super Bowl 46. I've been to the playoffs once since then. If he's going to get you to the playoffs, you better reassess your overall opinions yeah. and emotions toward Daniel Jones. That's right. I, I mean, I'm a Giants fan. I want Daniel Jones to be our quarterback. That, that's what I want. I mean, plain and simple. I do. He he embodies the Giants to me. That's what – this is what, like, uh, you know, this is what I expect from a Giants quarterback. It's Phil Simms-ish. It's, you know, Eli Manning-ish. It's I don't give a damn about the fans. I'm going to be tough and lead my team and – not be bothered by the New York media and I'm unflappable and you know quietly saying screw you underneath their breath but having a smile and holding their head up high and being professional uh, that that's where Daniel Jones is and I mean come on everybody like how can we not jump on this what do we, it's the first year he's had like oh what here's a tweet from Big Phil yeah okay so Phil I've seen enough this year and hashtag Daniel Jones has exceeded expectations in my opinion. He will absolutely be the Giants QB next year. I agree with Phil. I don't think there's any doubt. I think they want him to be the quarterback. He's played well. And Mike, where I was going too, you know, and this is something we've discussed. I mean, come on. I mean, Daniel Jones has had crap around him for his whole time there as far as the New York Giants starting quarterback. It hasn't been easy. He had a supplant, Eli Manning. That wasn't easy. So some people were bothered by that. And then he got to be a part of a a team that had a lot of issues. I mean, Dave Gettleman's still giving us gifts that, you know, keep on giving here that aren't that very good gifts, let me just tell you, for the Giants football team. As we discussed before the year, Daniel Jones wasn't a part of the worst offensive line in football the last two or three years. I mean, it, it was the worst. It was by far the worst. That's, it wasn't just bad. It was the worst. You know, there's no receivers to talk about. Saquon's been injured. So, you know, now they got a plan. They got the coaches. They got everything they need there. And now I think they support him with a few more receivers and talent around him. And I think you'll see that Daniel Jones is, yeah, he's not Mahomes or Josh Allen, but he's damn good. And the Giants can win with them, and I hope he's back and expect them to be back. Pete Demoletis and I were talking about the Kenny Galladay yes. in the viewing room on Sunday. That that was a situation of the Giants, specifically GM Dave Gettleman, getting grifted. Right? There was they no one else themselves. that was going to pay <laughs> yeah. him. There was no, it reminded me of what Le'Veon Bell did to the Jets, creating this sense that the Ravens are right, in it and right. they're not. The, they never were. Yeah. Like, like they, the, the agent, and that happens sometimes. Because what do you do if you're the GM of the team? You can't start calling your competitors and saying, "Are you really in this? Like, what's really going on here?" You've got to make an estimation, and you've got to decide whether or not you believe what you're being told. Gettleman bought it and overpaid Kenny Galladay, and the team continues to pay for that. Now, I, I, I haven't looked at his contract recently to see when they can cut the cord, but the problem with guarantees, full guarantees that go beyond the first year. You're stuck with the guy. Yeah. Somebody else is out there on the field, and the guy who has the full guarantee who isn't good enough to play is sucking up salary cap space that could go to other players, and that's not good for anybody. So the other challenge here, too, is they have to reach a deal with Daniel right, Jones. Right. And his leverage is I'm going to be a free agent in the middle of March. So, you know, what will happen is, and even though it's tampering, it happens all the time, the Giants and Daniel Jones will try to work something out after the season ends. When the combine rolls around in late February, that's when Jones agents and all other agents and all other executives and all other coaches will be in Indianapolis, and there will be blatant meetings between agents and teams to, to just talk parameters. It's not as advanced as it used to be, but they talk parameters. You find out who's in, and you find out who's out when the window opens just before the start of free agency. So... The, the deadline for applying the franchise tag comes after the combine. The Giants will have an idea, based on what's happening in Indy, whether or not there are going to be other teams in the mix for Daniel Jones. That's when they have to make their final decision, franchise tag or no franchise tag. If they don't do the franchise tag, they run the risk of somebody else snatching him away. Yeah. 
if they do it, they pay a lot more money. And I remember saying last year, you know, you're making about a $12 million gamble here. Yeah. And you're betting that he's not going to be so good that you want to tag him. And I think it makes it harder for them to justify tagging him because they'll be admitting we should have picked up the fifth-year option. Well, yeah, sure, sure. But, uh, you know, at the same time, I, I think it was smart for them to not pick it up. We didn't know. You know, there's some things we wanted to see. As much as we knew the supporting cast was around them, you know, you got to see a, a, a supporting cast. Okay, wait. You know, here is a little bit better of a supporting cast. Oh, okay, this is what he's capable of. All right. We, hey, we're seeing the bright spots here now that it's he's not being demoralized by a pass rush as soon as he gets the snap, on the gets the ball on the snap. So uh, I think – one, hey, they drafted him as in the top 10. I think they've always loved everything he stand for. Everything I know about the Giants from the Giants is Daniel Jones is he's great leader. He's the guys, you know, you want to lead your football team as far as the quarterback. He's not a diva, he's a worker. So all those things off the field they want. And I think this year now they've seen wait with a coach and a system and a tr- you know tried and true plan of attack on a weekly basis, and they've evaluated their team the right way to where they know what they are and they don't try to pretend or play some other game. That Daniel Jones is is you know going to be a priority for them. And Mike, I think like you know too, this is one of those situations where I don't think there's going to be a lot of a free agent free agent market, right? I, I don't because it is one year, and this is one team that knows him better than everybody else. And the rest of the league, oh, you signed Daniel Jones, and everybody's like, well, you signed Daniel Jones to be our quarterback? He had one year with the Giants, and it wasn't it's even true. that good. It's true. So, right? So I think you that all what? plays in the Giants' true. hands. you got to be able to sell it. Exactly. Yep. And that's where I think, like, then he's going to be like, wait, the Giants like me, and this is good. And that's where I think we'll come back to a two, three, year deal with Daniel Jones with mid-market money to where maybe they can get out of the contract after a year or two or something that way. But I think really, like you said, both of them, the Giants and Daniel Jones, there's no better options out there, and we've seen some potential. And I just think they'll come together and make it happen at some point this offseason. Over under $30 million a year. Ooh, I know. That's the question, right? I, I know. I was... Whew. It's 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 like caps I, going up too. I know caps going up. I guess I guess I mean I, I'm gonna say maybe over just barely. I, I you know it's just again thirty million a year is is what mid level quarterback money now, right? I mean I think that's probably something that he would get right around there. I would guess guess somewhere between twenty eight thirty two million a year to where, yeah, there's some guarantees there to protect themselves into a year two, and then there's an extra year in the contract to soften the you know salary cap blow and all of that. And if things go really great next year and he is in the Pro Bowl and awesome or whatever, then maybe they'll tear the contract up or extend it or do whatever. But I, I figure that'll be the, the initial framework of this. I'd want to build some upside into it if I were representing Daniel. I Jones hear you. Advising him on what to do. Right. So if you have a Pro Bowl year, big payment. Playing time, big payment. Right. Different performance. And and I'm, I'm, I'm always reluctant about individual performance. But with a quarterback, I mean, he's always on the field. With a receiver, you create a situation where I want to be on the field more. I want to be out there in this yeah. situation. I, I want, want the plays to be called for if, me. If I have Call a touchdown incentive. Right. right, right. For a quarterback, it doesn't matter. For a quarterback, you're always going to be out there. You're the starting quarterback. So if it's yardage, if it's completion percent, whatever, whatever formula they come up with, I got no problem with that. But if he plays at a higher level than what the contract would imply as an expectation for where he's going to be, he needs to be protected. More than just hoping that they'll rip it up and give him a new deal, I think he needs to have that upside in there by way of of real incentive right and the top of the market you know you say 30s mid-level well the top of the market is 50 a little more than 50 if you look at Aaron Rodgers contract and next year he's going to make almost 60 million under the deal that he signed earlier this year and that leads us to our next topic Christopher and this happened at the end of the broadcast on Monday night garbage time for the game not garbage time for some of the information that came out during that broadcast Joe Buck mentioned that Matt LaFleur the coach of the Packers told Buck and Troy Aikman that the offense started clicking more when LaFleur started having them watch practice film as a group. LaFleur said that that way Aaron Rodgers, the quarterback of the team, could hear what the young receivers were thinking. LaFleur was asked about that 
on Tuesday. Have a listen to what LaFleur had to say. Yeah, that's something um, that just thinking back the, the in previous years, we had done that most of the time together. And then when it, after that first year, and we again, we had a more veteran group of wideouts or whatever, and um, we kind of allowed it to, just from an efficiency standpoint and a detail standpoint, um, allowed the position groups to uh, meet, you know, independently of one another in some instances. Now, uh, I would say, I can't remember what week it was, but we decided, we decided to start watching Wednesdays, Thursdays, uh, every practice together as a whole unit. Why did it, I guess, like, why did it take so long to, like, because that's just the way it, it transpired. Uh, he's yeah. being careful. Well, he's, yeah. Yes. Yeah. He's being careful Look, there. Well, he's afraid. It, he's afraid this is going to become a thing. And then everybody's going to question him and be like, why haven't you been doing this all the time? And what's going on? And, you know, there is nuance to this. Not It's not always just, oh, this is what every team does. So, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's an interesting conversation, Mike. The first thing I always think of when something like that comes up that creates questions and controversy were they authorized to talk about it on the air? Now, Buck and Aikman have been doing it for more than 20 years together. I'll assume that they were careful to be sure that it was something they were allowed to talk about. That's the kind of thing that can get you in hot water from a relationship standpoint with these individuals that you meet with on a regular basis because they'll get pissed if their position is that was off the record. That wasn't something that I authorized you to say that I said, right? Uh, but again, They've been doing it long enough. I suspect they've got the instincts to know when to say, can we use that? Can we say that? Which makes it even more significant. The mere fact that they were authorized to say it, if indeed they were, and I will assume they were, that tells you maybe LaFleur wanted it out there. Now, he, he didn't want to get too specific about details, but Chris, this fits with everything we've been saying all along. You've got a dramatic overhaul to your receiving core. You've got a guy who's coming back presumably intent on winning a Super Bowl. And where is he during the offseason program? He's in Peru or wherever doing ayahuasca. He's not with these young receivers. And I looked it up today. When the Packers won their only Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers, Christian Watson was 11, Romeo Dobbs was 10. They, he's their Franco Harris for crying out loud. Right. Right? Right. They walk through the door, and they are working with, they are colleagues with, they are catching passes from, one of their football gods, a member of the Pantheon, as they grew up and developed a love for football, this is the guy. And I, you know, Aaron Rodgers is so smart. Well, I don't know how smart he really is because if he was really smart, he'd recognize these guys are going to be freaked out by me. These guys are going to be intimidated by me. These guys are going to be pissing down their leg when they're talking to me for the first time. Yes. Because I'm Aaron Rodgers yes. and they're not. Right. So I have to go out of my way to make them comfortable and it's i'm passionate about it because i'm thinking what franco harris would have done just based on how franco harris was yeah yeah i've got to go out of my way to make them feel like they belong to right. make them feel like i am on an equal plane with them right. now they are playing with me they deserve it they've earned it and i am going to embrace them and i am going to work with them and i'm going to spend time with them and i'm going to make sure that when training camp rolls around they're not freaked out when I show up with my Arthur Shelby haircut and here's this big, huge persona of Aaron Rodgers, what year did he show up in the Con Air getup? Was that last year or was that this year? That was this year, so, early this year. I, they're all, yeah, when, it's, oh, it was start of the season yes, he had the Arthur right. Shelby. He training showed up camp. for training camp right. looking like Nick Cage and Con Air. I mean, you're going to freak out if you haven't had a guy take the time to get to know you. And this is another example of that. Kind of aloof, standoffish, I don't want to be bothered. Right? Right. I'm not watching film with these guys, and therefore they don't learn more about what I like. I don't learn more about what they like. It's no wonder. No. No, snuck. you're right. 
Right. And it's no wonder they're better now. Right. Better late than never unless it was too late for them to get to the playoffs. Yeah, well, I mean, you're right. And then in those meetings, what you do is you start to get comfortable with the person, right? So not only are you starting to realize professionally, but you're like, oh, hey, look, he cracked a joke. Okay, wait. You know, he, he made fun of himself in the meeting. Oh, I'll throw it better next time. That was a crap throw. And then you start to break the ice and you don't, you know, feel so uncomfortable. It is a real thing, Mike. There's no doubt. Hey, I mean, hey, and, and I was, let me tell you, yeah. let me tell you, late. Late, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but late career Aaron Rodgers is in this weird state of mind, and he needs to hear hard truths from somebody. He doesn't hear it on McAfee's show. Because yesterday, they got into this article that Kalen Kaler of The Athletic meticulously crafted with on-the-record quotes from current teammates about this hand signal issue and how the receivers, they're freaked out by it. They're intimidated by Aaron Rodgers. It's Randall Cobb. It's Romeo Dobbs. It's Sammy Watkins, who isn't a teammate anymore. I wonder if what he said in that article had anything to do with it. And from Jordan Love. It's all on the record. And Rodgers goes on with McAfee, and they shit all over it. Like it's, like it's fake news. It's on the record quotes from his own teammates. It's unbelievable. When you watch the clip, of Rodgers, and McAfee says they're anonymous quotes. First of all, Pat, they're not. They're all on the record. They're all on the record. It's like we're, we're in these two realities, red state, blue state. You say whatever you want. It doesn't matter if it's true. And here's the truth, residing over here in plain sight, and nobody wants to bridge the gap between the two. That's where Rodgers is right now. So, Chris, this doesn't surprise me. He's allowed himself to believe he's larger than life. Like, I'm a little kid thinking Frank O'Harris is larger than life, and Frank O'Harris never viewed himself this way. Aaron Rodgers is a guy that all these people think is larger than life, and at some point in his brain over the past few years, he's begun to believe it. That's my assessment. I got nothing more to say, lest I get myself in any more trouble than I'm. No, on. well, I mean, you said it all right there. I mean, that, that's the one thing that you know jumped out to me as far as seeing the article and then hearing it. I was like, wait, don't we have people that are saying this and they're saying that it's anonymous? Every BS? source was on the record. I, I, well, Every me, source in that I had article was on the record. Go back and double check because I was like, I, did, did, I, are they? Am I hearing things or did I not see something? Right. <laughs> so that was shocking. It was, but, but like the aspect that you're bringing up is real. It is. I mean, my rookie year, gosh, I mean, I was, I mean, gosh, it's very widely documented with my bumble in the play in the huddle. I mean, yeah, it's a real thing. Oh gosh, I'm, I'm in the huddle with Keyshawn Johnson and Keenan McCardell and Michael Pittman. And I was nervous. And, and you got Warren Sapp waiting well, for you exactly, on, the on that side of the ball, you're too. You're going to hear from him. You know, but, <laughs> but then as I got and grew and started to become, I mean, even in year two, I was, oh, Joey Galloway's in the, hu in the huddle now. Oh, I want him to like me. Huh. And you know what? Those guys, when they realized, wait, this kid's getting close to playing here, and he might actually be our, our, our quarterback, and, and even before that, they made themselves available to me as humans to go like, hey man, we see what you're doing out there. You got you're you're doing good, and you know you know you know bust my chops every now and then, uh, give me some confidence, or tell me something I need to change or whatever. And we grew that way, and that that there is something real to that. And yes, I think they were feeling the pressure for sure. They want to please. I mean, it's it's receivers who, like you talked about, I'm in the huddle with a legend, a guy I was watching as a little kid in the Super Bowl. I want him to love everything about me. So there is that pressure, and um, yeah, it's 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 all a little a little shocking there. But I will say too, not every team does it like meets together as a unit. It does depend on your team a little bit. You know, I, I, when I was on a, a playoff team with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and we had Joey Galloway in, in the receiver room and Ike, you know, Ike Hilliard and some mature guys like that, we, we split up as an offensive unit. I didn't watch the, the game film with the offensive line, the tight ends. The we all separate ways. Gruden had told everybody what everybody needs to improve, and then we'd come together on a walkthrough after the film or whatever and, and fix some of the issues. Where I was on a, you know, some other teams with Josh McDaniels, the New England way, you know, guys learning a new offense and trying to do that. When I was in Denver, yeah, we met as a unit. Make sure we get all on the same page. We talk about all the little details that we're all learning, you know, as far. That can be annoying and why teams don't do it because then the receivers are sitting back there going, God, damn, I got to listen to them tell the right guard and the right tackle what they should do on this run play. So that's why teams don't always do it either. 
You know, it isn't always the most efficient way. That meeting could end up being like four hours long. So uh, there are different ways to go about this. And uh, obviously they were a little late to go about this the, the right way as far as this team and young receivers with a, a legendary quarterback. I thought it was interesting what Troy Aikman had to say. Buck set it up by saying that it changed when they started watching tape of Wednesday and Thursday practices together as a group so they could talk and Aaron could hear what Christian Watson is thinking and what Romeo Dobbs is thinking. And not only that, but to get to know them as people, which maybe humanized yes, Rodgers and right. took a little bit of the pressure off. Right. That's what I've been saying all along. You have to understand this is not a superhero. This is not a god from the pantheon on high who has come down to be among the mere mortals. This is a regular guy like the rest of you. And the obligation is on Rodgers to create that relationship. But but here's what Aikman said. When LaFleur said that, I was shocked they hadn't been meeting all along. I've been on both sides, but I've had offensive coordinators who had it where you always met with your individual position coach and not as a group. I've had others where the whole offense, excluding linemen, met, and that worked best. I think that's the way to go, and my guess is LaFleur will do it that way for the rest of his time as a head coach. And we can say Aaron Rodgers is smart okay I don't think there's any denying he's objectively smart right but 10 years or so ago it became mainstream to differentiate intelligence from emotional intelligence and I remember after the Eagles fired Chip Kelly Jeffrey Lurie was looking for emotional intelligence you have to understand the humanity of the individuals you are working with, whether you're the coach, the quarterback, whoever, if you're in a position of leadership, you have to recognize that there are human emotional responses to the interactions. Yeah. And you have to factor that into how you deal with people and how you relate to people. And that's why, that's why I had been hammering all along on this idea that Aaron Rodgers should be present and available. Maybe he doesn't like it. It's, it's voluntary. It's voluntary. You're getting 50 million a year. Okay, maybe you should volunteer to be there because it's not about you at that point. It's about them. All these new guys, go there and make them comfortable. If you're not there, it makes it even harder. They do think there's this mystique, there's this wall that I have to, I have to earn my way through right? rather than this guy's going to support me and do everything he can to help me. So this is all on Aaron Rodgers. If they don't make the playoffs this year, it is all on him for failing to put in the basic effort to give a crap about making a human connection with his new receivers. Yeah, that, that, that's right. I, and this is real in every – we saw this a few years ago in Brady's last year in New England, right? Young receivers that were intimidated, wanted to please. It's, it's, it's a huge part of the game, the human aspect. You know, the, the thing you always hear about players talking about, you know, camaraderie, this is a guy I'd, you know, being a foxhole with all that. That's that's not only just, you know, getting to know the player on the field, it's it's getting to know the human off the field and realizing, wait, I can vouch for this human, this guy. You know, now I I already was vouching for the professional, but now the human part of it, and that's when you come together as a team and have special relationships and then start to hit the next level of like you know, hey, I don't even have to signal to you. I can kind of give you a look, and you know what I'm thinking. And that they're not there. That you know, th- this conversation I think came up a little bit because of what happened at the end of the game last the uh, the other night. He gave a really sly signal, right? He wanted to throw that last touchdown pass to Christian Watson. I think they were trying to extend that record of touchdowns and games. And you know, Green Bay they like to be cheap and throw one and two yard touchdown passes to to pad Roger's stats, anyways. But yeah, those are <laughs> those are the little Zing. things, you know. Hey, well, those are the little things that you you, you do there, and and uh, you know, I, I think that those young guys are still in the process of getting comfortable and and realizing and reacting to the nuances of what Rogers does and and how he approaches the game. You know, people trying to figure out what's wrong with the Buccaneers this year. It could be that that intense personal connection that Brady was able to establish and maintain with his teammates 2020 and 2021. It's been harder this year because he's got a lot of of other going on, as he said earlier this year. Mm -hmm. Right. And at a certain point when he separates himself from the team, he leaves for 11 days during training camp and they act like it's no big deal to the guys in the locker room. It's a big deal because he's not 
there. That's when you're making your bonds. That's when this unique group of individuals, because every year is different for an NFL team. Yes, there's carryover, but that collection of individuals is one time only this year. And it always changes at the fringes as the year goes on, but it's one time only. And I think that made it harder this year for the Buccaneers. And that feels like is what's missing from this team. That sense that they are connected as human beings. And you can't force it, but you can you can nudge it in that direction. And if you're not available, if you're not present, I mean, I guess I guess what I'm saying is the sense of camaraderie and togetherness, it has to happen naturally, but you have to have everyone interested in making it happen before it can happen. That's right. You can make it not happen deliberately. You can't make it happen deliberately. But you have to be there and be together and be working together and feel like you are rowing the same boat in the same direction and sweating the same sweat and bleeding the same blood. That's how you lay the foundation for everyone to be bound together. And then that's when the magic happens. That's what I believe. But I may be wrong. I don't know. I got a feeling I'm more right than wrong. No, you're more right than, than wrong. You are 100%. OTAs and training camp. That's where you, you lay down the tracks for, for all that. You know, to your point, it's the moments of like, hey, it's in the locker room and we got a little free time, but yeah, we can't have so much free time. We can all leave the locker room and go somewhere and guys start joking around or doing silly stuff or, you know, telling a stupid story to the locker room. And that's where, you know, the relationships and the bonds happen during training camp, during those little dull moments. Or, hey, we've had OTAs for the last two or three days. On on the last day after practice, let's go, you know, let's all go get a meal and drink a few beers and get together and hang out. That's, that's a real aspect of football. It is the hard the, the sport's too hard to keep it corporate and business like all the time. You, you know. And you know the, the crazy thing with with Rodgers that I always think about is just like he knows how important this is. That's that's where he talks about it all the time when I got my friend back in the building, Randall Cobb and the camaraderie part. Well, yeah. Okay. Well, these young guys need it too. And uh I think that kind of got lost in in translation with him maybe a little this this off season. Hopefully, hopefully you'll come back and get another crack with these guys because I do think there's, like we talked about yesterday, some potential for them to be scary next year if Rodgers does come back and play in 23. It is amazing to me to think that he had resistance to something that he knows the value of. Like He's almost like me. Like, I'm old enough. I've got my friends. I don't need any more friends at this point. You know, That's kind of the attitude that he had. It doesn't work on a football team. You've got to befriend your teammates, given the nature of what you do, given the importance of having that unspoken communication on the football field and understanding what both sides of the equation like, what they like to do, how they do it, who they are, what they are. Remember Juju Smith-Schuster earlier this year was talking about how they bonded in Kansas City playing Call of Duty, learning more about each other and who they are and what they like and how they operate and how they think think i mean i just feel like aaron Rodgers got to a point where he's not interested in getting to know any of these new players hanging around any of these players doing any of the things necessary to build those connections which tells me for as smart as he may think he is he is lacking in emotional intelligence let's go ahead and take a break when we return i am lacking in intelligence as i'm reminded every week in the way that i order teams in the power rankings we'll look at this week's configuration when PFT Live continues right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. 